You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. It's good to be together again, uh, looking at God's Word together. We've been um, traveling through the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament. And today we've arrived at probably the best story in 1 Samuel, the story of David and Goliath. And we are going to be looking at this today. And next week as well, Morris is going to be preaching. He's in Frankfurt uh, today with a church plant there. Do pray for him. Pray for a fruitful time for him. And uh, next week, he'll be unpacking this a bit more for us. But today, I want to look at this story, what it is about, what it's not about. And I want to share, with some, share some things with us that I want to, to call us to, really, as a church uh, in these coming months. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to First uh, chap- uh, Samuel chapter 17. And uh, we're going to read a chunk of that together. Let me just set the scene for you. So we're about 3,000 years ago, and in the Valley of Elah, the armies of the Philistines and the armies of Israel were encamped against each other. And for 40 days, this massive man called Goliath had been coming out from, uh, from his army and had been taunting the opposition, challenging them uh, to a one-on-one duel, winner-takes-all, Uh, Whoever wins basically gets to be the best uh, nation. The other one has to serve them. And no one is daring to fight this Goliath. He's nine foot tall. Just to put that into some context, the tallest man uh, recorded from the last century, Robert Wadlow, was just under nine foot tall. So this is a big guy. um, And in those days, he would have towered uh, more than head and shoulders above um, the Israelite army. So he was really intimidating them. No one dared to step forward. And then David, who we met last week, he... Uh, steps forward with some lunch for his brothers who are in the army. Uh, David is a teenager, and he hears this giant um, pouring scorn out on the, uh, the armies of Israel and their God. So we pick up in uh, verse 26, and because it's quite a long chunk of text, I'm not going to uh, put these on the screens. We're just going to have to read along in our Bibles, or listen to me if you haven't got one. Okay, verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. Just to let you know, he'd already asked some other people and they'd said, you get to marry the king's daughter if you kill this Philistine. And they said to him, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. 
And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered the camp. What a story! What a great story! Even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're not sure what to believe, you want this story to be true, right? We love this story of David and Goliath. It's a story that has been uh, retold again and again. It's inspired uh, many of the modern films that we love. Uh, Independence Day, for one, when uh, Earth is under attack from an alien force that's far greater than them, and it seems like there's no chance at all. And then Will Smith gets in his aeroplane and goes and nukes the aliens and uh, saves the day, and the, the aliens uh, have to flee uh, Troy, anyone seen the film Troy a number of years ago now, where the armies of Triopas are in their lines, and this giant comes out, very similar to this, he comes out and he's taunting the opposition, and then Brad Pitt, looking all handsome, uh, comes out in his armour, and he, he sprints towards a giant, dodges a couple of spears, and then rams a knife into the uh, giant's neck, and he falls to the ground, just like Goliath did in this, and then he shouts to the army, he says, is there no one else? Is there no one else? And he taunts them in return. We love these kind of giant killing stories, don't we? 
We love it when in football, in the FA Cup, where a, a tiny team from the, the middle of nowhere beats a Man United or a, or a Man City. We love it when that happens, don't we? We, we? we think, oh yes, the little guy is still a chance. And yet we have in many, many ways taken this story out of its context and uh, have really made a meaning for it that it really isn't the meaning that I believe God uh, wants to, to teach us. Uh, today. We have um, hijacked this popular uh, story and interpreted it in many, many wrong ways because we've kind of made it a focus uh, on, on our sort of self-belief. And if you really just look inside yourself and believe hard enough, then you can accomplish anything. David had to kind of uh, draw something up from within him in order to, uh, to, to beat this giant. We kind of uh, see David as some sort of Rocky Balboa, that he has to kind of, uh, you know, there's this arrogant uh, opponent that he's going to go into the ring with, and he had to go out, get out there and face down his giants, um, and that the heroes are the ones that can, can see inside themselves and draw up some courage um, to come out on top. And we kind of place ourselves in the place of David. We say, okay, I think I'm David in this story, and the giant is anything that gets in the way of my dreams. That's kind of the, the, the way in which we can often interpret um, this story. I'm encountering this a lot at the moment because uh, we are in a bit of a Disney phase as a family. I've got uh, uh, two daughters who are nearly six, and we are getting the full-on Disney gospel right now. We're getting uh, Cinderella and Frozen and Sleeping Beauty and Beauty and the Beast and all these kinds of things. And the message in these is often look inside yourself because you know, once you do that, then you can face all of the things that stand in the way of your dreams. And we were really blessed this Christmas because someone bought us this Disney sing-along book and CD. And so as we traveled to uh, family and loved ones over the Christmas period, we had to listen to this in the car. And I want to quote uh, one of the first songs on the CD. It's called The Glow. This is what it says. Feel your strength. You can face the world. Believe every day everything is possible. A magical journey awaits. The story begins with the light in your heart. A fantasy, a dream, a spark. Once you believe you are ready to shine, the princess inside you will show. You are the glow. You are the glow. Whoa, you are the glow. Have we got any Cinderella lovers here? Any Cinderella lovers? Yes, a few hands going up. This is for you. Have faith in your dreams and someday your rainbow will come smiling through. No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. So we kind of, we look at this story of David and Goliath through our kind of Disney-affected eyes, okay? I didn't really watch much Disney as a kid. I think I watched Jungle Book and, uh, and maybe the one, Robin Hood one with the fox. Um, but now I'm sort of getting this Disney sort of thing seeping through to me every day. That if you only believe in yourself enough, if you search for the hero inside yourself, then you can face any challenge that comes your way. Because within you is supposedly a well of courage that you draw up when you really just shut your eyes tight and dream and believe, this is not what that story is about. This story is not about believing in yourself. It's not about following your heart. Who did that ever go well for, following your heart? It's not about uh, searching, as I said, for the hero inside yourself. It's not about how you can conquer your giants if you just put in enough hard work, a bit like Rocky who goes through this big training program. It's not about conquering your giants if you only put in the hard work. It is about having confidence in God and his promises. It's about beholding God and seeing him as much larger than anything else we can possibly 
encounter in life. David's courage was empowered by something else. Courage is not uh, a self-generated virtue. It's not something that I said, as I said, it's not something we have inside of us, this well of courage. We have to somehow draw it up. No, David's courage was empowered by faith in God. God had, over many, many years, revealed himself to David. As we've read already, David had a track record with God where he would meet with him in the wilderness. He knew that God was with him. If you were to watch the montage of David's life, it wouldn't be very exciting. Not like the montage you get on Rocky, where he's doing the punch bags, he's doing the press-ups, and he's running through the park. No, it would have been quite ordinary. It would have been quite day-to-day. He would have been just looking after sheep and encountering God in the day-to-day. He had a track record with God. It didn't look very exciting, but it was a track record with God nonetheless. And that is what built his faith in God. And as we saw last week, God had even promised him that he was going to become king. And the Holy Spirit had fallen upon him uh, in in quite a spectacular way. David had faith in God and his promises over him. So this is a, a story that's primarily about God, his faithfulness to keep his promises, his greatness to defeat anything that stands in the way of his promises. And it's also a story that points us to the greater David, that is Jesus Christ. I've said over a number of weeks as we've gone through this series that a lot of these characters that we look at, they're often foreshadowing Jesus. They're often pointing us to the one that would come, uh, even in this case, uh, many, many centuries later, that Jesus would come. And he, you would see in these characters something of Jesus. And there's some remarkable parallels between David and Jesus. David, the son of a shepherd of no real prestige, sneered at by his brothers, mistrusted by his brothers, as we saw in this story. Likewise, Jesus, son of a carpenter, no real prestige. He's sneered at by his brothers. They don't trust him. They think he's gone crazy when he starts to teach. David is anointed to be king one day, and the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. And then he goes into a wilderness where there's an enemy that's taunting him for 40 days. Now, Jesus, as we see, he's filled with the Holy Spirit when he's baptized. He goes into a wilderness where he's attacked by an enemy, Satan, for 40 days. And then uh, this enemy we see in in the case with David, uh, Goliath, we didn't read it in the verses we read out. He's wearing an armor that has scales on it. It's a picture of a serpent. He is uh, representing Satan in this picture. And David steps forward where no one else dares, and he defeats the enemy with one blow, and he cuts off his head. And uh, the prize he gets, he gets to marry the king's daughter. And likewise with Jesus, he defeats the enemy with one blow, dying on the cross and rising again. And his prize is the bride of Christ, the church. So we can see some amazing parallels here between David and Jesus. So if we're looking to see who's who in this story, it's not that we're David and, a, uh, and Goliath is anything that stands in the way of our dreams. No, uh, Jesus is David and, and Satan is Goliath. And this is a picture of what Jesus would do in defeating Satan through his death and resurrection. Who are we, you might ask? Well, we, I would suggest, we're like the Israelite army. We're cowed, we're scared, we're we're powerless to do anything about this enemy. Greater than us, we can't do anything about it. And then we see the champion step up. We see Jesus step up. We see Jesus defeat Satan. And now... Now, having seen the champion win, we are those who charge after him into the enemy camp to plunder the camp. 
We run behind the victor, King Jesus. We follow the king who's done the great deed that we couldn't do. He's defeated the commander of the enemy army. And we take this news. We take the news of this victory to the ends of the earth. We go to the ends of the earth saying, Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has defeated the enemy that we are powerless to defeat ourselves. We can know uh, eternal life now because death itself has been defeated. It's important that uh, we look at the truth of this, at who we are in this story and what the outcome is. The outcome is certain and secure. Jesus is victorious. Jesus will uh, one day destroy death completely. Now it's beaten. Death has lost its sting. We don't need to fear death because there's life beyond the grave. And so it's important we know as we look ahead to all that's on the horizon for us as individuals and as a church that the battle is won. That it's a sure and certain victory. I... It's, it's not this kind of 50-50 battle. I, I watched on Friday night um, a film called The Darkest Hour, which is about uh, the battle for Britain and about Churchill's first days as prime minister. Excellent film. And what I didn't appreciate was that for a number of weeks, in, as he um, began leading the country in the war, um, all of his advisors were saying, we've got no chance of winning this thing. We've got no chance. You need to make a deal with the Nazis. You need to, you need to enter into negotiations with them right now. And for weeks, he's agonizing with this. Should I, should I continue? He's not even sure if victory's you know, possible. And it's not like that at all in this battle that we're in. It's not like this 50-50, who's going to win? Is it God? Is it going to say to No, the victory is, is sure and certain because Jesus has risen from the dead. And so it's important that we know that as we look ahead uh, in our lives and in the life of this church, that the victory is certain. It's not this kind of 50-50 deal. Who's going to win? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, it gives us great courage when we read these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 onwards. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So what's happening right now is is that Jesus is reigning and bit by bit all the enemies of God are being placed like a footstool under the feet of Jesus. And we see in this passage that death itself will be destroyed. It will be destroyed completely. So the victory is certain. The enemy is on the run. Sometimes the enemy might make a lot of noise and we might think, well, maybe that, that outcome is not so certain. No, the enemy is on the run. All across the world, the kingdom of God is advancing. All across the world, people are giving their lives over to God, coming from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it might seem like it's not the case sometimes. And we look around in this nation, we think people seem to be leaving the church behind or you know, people going more and more secular. This country's uh, in its policies and in its philosophy coming more and more secular. No, 
even though that may seem uh, to mean that the kingdom of God is retreating, no, the kingdom of God is advancing all over the world. The outcome is certain. But we are in a fight. We are going to face opposition. And maybe you came to know Jesus and no one ever told you that. No one ever told you that it was going to mean a fight. Maybe no one ever told you that you'd be joining an army, not an audience. You'd be joining an army. Well, I'm telling you now, you're in an army. You're in an army, not an audience. And you're in a fight if you want to live for Jesus. But the victory is certain. The outcome is secure. You might be going through very tough battles even right now. You need to know about the victory, and that is certain. You need to fill your mind with that truth. You need to know that it's not like Jesus is thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? You know, with these uh, battles that are raging on. No, he's secure, and his feet are up. His feet are on a footrest. <laughs> my feet, when my feet are up, I'm feeling relaxed. I haven't got things to do. Oh, my feet are up. I'm done for the day. Jesus, is, his work is done. And now his victory is going to become more and more evident uh, as the kingdom of God advances. We're not on the run from an increasingly secular culture. We're not cowed. We're, we're confident because Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Um, recently, I've, I've been able to go and watch the Hope Church football team a couple of times. And uh, these guys are doing great. And it's, they're enjoying uh, very much being part of the FA League. And, uh, you know, if, if they were lined up one uh, Saturday and Casey, the manager, said, guys, I've got a new signing today. I've got a new signing. I think he's going to be helpful to us. And uh, this car turns up at the park and outsteps Cristiano Ronaldo it would give the team confidence, okay? Because he's the best footballer on the planet. I'm sorry to all of you Messi lovers out there. Ronaldo's the best footballer on the planet because he can score goals with his both feet, with his head. He can score free kicks. He's fast. You know, he's the best footballer on the planet. And it, if the team saw him turning up, it would give them confidence. They'd, they'd think, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game because we've got Ronaldo with us. Listen, in the same way, we need to consider who we have with us. We need to consider who is our champion, you know, it would have given the Israelites a, a lot of confidence to see David stepping up against Goliath. And, and not only did he kill him, but before he killed him, he said, you're going down. They must have thought, this, this guy can kill anyone. If he can kill Goliath, he can kill anyone. Yes, we've got Jesus with us, and we need, to, we need to dwell on that truth. We've got Jesus with us. Jesus is with us. We need to not only remind ourselves of that truth, but experience that truth. We need to ask him to, by his Holy Spirit, reveal to, the, to us the fact that he is with us. And when he's with us, and when we know that he's with us, it will fuel our courage. We won't have to uh, look deep inside ourselves and try and draw something up that's deep within. No, when we realize Jesus is with us, we will run with vigor and perseverance into the purposes of God for us as a church. When we know Jesus is with us, we'll start to dream dreams and start to say things like, well, you know, maybe we could see 50 people baptized in a year. Maybe we could see dozens of people healed every month. Maybe we could see God uh, unlock for us a large cinema in the center of town. Maybe we could see 50 life groups in a term, full to the brim with life and commu great, wonderful community. Maybe we could see this church become an apostolic hub where we, send, we train and send men and women to the nation and to the nations to start churches and see people come to know Jesus. Maybe we could see uh, a church like the Acts Church. In, uh, in reading Acts chapter 5, the disciples, they're accused of filling Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. 
And there's lots of different estimates as to how big Jerusalem was. But I've read on a number of places, it's about 150,000 people. And these disciples had filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. Can we see that here? I believe we can see that here, where many, many thousands of people could come to know Jesus because God is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. So when we know Jesus, we'll not look and think, oh, you know, there's some, some pretty bad things going on in our nation right now, or there's some uh, you know, forces of evil that seem to be uh, having influence in this country. No, we can look forward with confidence and say, well, Jesus is with us. We're going to be obedient to him and see him do great things in our day. We trust that he is with us. We need to fill our minds with that truth. So in light of that, we run after the victor. We plunder the enemy camp. We plunder the camp. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Well, any literalists out there, we're not running after people and mowing them down and stealing their stuff. That would have, what the Israelites would have done. No, we are going and we're taking people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Anyone seen Hacksaw Ridge? It's not a horror movie. It sounds like a horror movie. It's about a guy in the Second World War who, his beliefs, he didn't want to take a gun into battle. He wouldn't use it. So he was a medic in the Second World War in the American army. And uh, on Hacksaw Ridge, the Americans take a big beating. And uh, he's left on the battlefield and he's trying to rescue people and get them off this ridge to get them the help they need. And under enemy fire, he keeps going back to get one more just one more person, one more person. And by the end of the, the film, he's exhausted, but he says, I need to go and get one more. And he's getting bloodied arms, and he's, he's nearly dying himself. He says, I need to save one more. That's our mission here, to take people out of the kingdom of darkness and place them in the kingdom of light. It's Jesus who does the saving, but he wants to use us. Okay, We're not just standing on watching Jesus do all of the work here. He wants to bring us into play. He wants to use us to advance his kingdom. So we need to marvel at Jesus, fill our minds with his greatness. We need to be those that uh, experience his presence with us, just as David did. And it will fill us with courage. It will fill us with courage to, uh, to run after Jesus, to plunder the camp. I want to encourage us and exhort us really to respond to this in a number of ways. To say, Lord, in the light of the victory that you've won, in light of the victory that you've won, I'm going to give my all to you in seeing your kingdom advance. I'm going to open up my home. My home is yours, Lord. I'm going to use it for your glory. I'm going to invite others in and be hospitable. And I'm going to uh, use it to, to welcome in people who don't know you and speak to Jesus about uh, you with them. I'm going to uh, use the, the, the money I have for your glory. I'm going to use the gifts I have for your glory. I'm going to offer my service. Sometimes we speak about a mission field out there. In fact, often we do. But in this building right now, there's a mission field. We've got um, every Sunday between 80 and 100 children and young people in our building, many of them who don't know Jesus yet. We've got a mission field. Can I urge you to consider that? Can I get involved with that in some way and, and help see these children come to know Jesus? Let's review uh, our giving this year. It might be a crazy time to talk about giving. It probably is against every rule in the church leader book to talk about giving. In January, when you just had Christmas and looking in the bank thinking, when's payday again? I'm really, I, need, I need payday to come soon. But listen, I just felt God say, I needed to speak about giving today. And say, let's look to increase our giving. Sarah and I have, for as long as we've been married, um, given at least 10% of our income to the church that we've been part of. We still do it, and then we look to see what we can give over and above that. I would encourage that as a principle, and we do that now, and in the last couple of weeks, we've reviewed it, think, can we increase that a little bit? And we've done that. 
Can I encourage you to think about that and talk with your spouse if you're married about that? Can we increase what we're giving into God's kingdom purposes here? We've got in March a uh, journey offering. Uh, I've mentioned already that we're looking for a larger premises for us as a church. And so on the 18th of March, we're going to be going, giving big again into uh, an offering. And uh, we'll be uh, revealing in the coming weeks what our target will be for that. Um, we have been at our prayer and vision nights giving regular updates on our building progress. So if you're thinking, I haven't heard anything about this cinema, what's going on? Well, can I encourage you to come along to those evenings? We've got one this Wednesday. We gather here, seven, doors open at 7.30. We start to worship and pray at 7.45. Uh, this week we will give an update on that, but we'll also be praying for our children's work and our youth work and our TOTS ministry. Um, please get here. We're going to pray and ask God for his blessing on those things. So brilliant. I want to just share as we come to a close um, a prophetic word that we had on Wednesday night at the prayer and vision night uh, this week, shared by Len South, who's also on the the team of elders, and, uh, and I just want this to, as we think this through and uh, as we consider it, I uh, just want us to become uh, excited in what God has got for us, and, um, and then we're just going to worship and um, lift God up together. Uh, this is what Len saw. I saw a picture of a person with a surfboard under their arm wading into the water to start to surf. They had been watching the weather for some time, and had decided the time was now right to get out into the water. Initially, they were walking strongly and confidently in those first steps, but as the water got deeper, they moved more slowly as the waves started to push them back. But they were determined to keep moving forward, come what may, even though it was hard work. Then they lay on the surfboard and paddled as the water became too deep to walk in. They paddled and they paddled. Each, each wave pushed them back a little, but overall they were making progress and the effect of the waves became less and less strong until they were past the waves and on the edge of the calmer water beyond. However, they weren't interested in going any further out because they were now looking and positioning their surfboard and waiting for the wave, the wave that they knew would soon be coming, the wave for which they had set out from the shore in the first place. They knew it was coming soon and they wanted to be ready and to make sure they didn't miss the wave when it did come. I then saw the person turn the surfboard round to face the beach and start to paddle. And then the wave formed and lifted the surfboard and they were now standing on it. Effortlessly, they were being carried by the wave back towards the shore. The picture is not about us having nothing to do once the wave comes. It's an encouragement for us to keep moving forward and to be carefully positioning ourselves and making sure we are wide awake and in position as we watch for the wave to form. The surfboard represents Hope Church and there is a huge and irresistible wave of the mercy and grace and goodness of God coming. And it is heading for the shore and nothing can get in its way. And the surfboard is safe on the top of it and is being carried along by it. It's encouraging, isn't it? There's a, there's a wave of God's grace and mercy coming uh, to us as a church. I believe that many will come to know Jesus in the months to come believing for healing, believing for God's goodness to break into uh, difficult situations in many of our lives here. God is with us. Let's position ourselves for this, shall we? Let's position ourselves in some of the things that I've been speaking about in presenting our time and our money and our possessions, saying, God, it's yours. I want to use it for your glory. Should we stand together? We're going to lift up Jesus together. He's with us. He's the champion who's defeated the enemy. And it's with 
the sure and certain victory of Jesus in mind that we stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you are the victor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have defeated death itself. You've defeated Satan. The victory is certain. You will, as we heard at the outset of this meeting, you will be praised by thousands upon thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions upon millions. Lord, you will be praised. Lord Jesus, you will be glorified. You will have a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord Jesus, we believe you've got great purposes for this church. And it's, it's, as, it's as those who were once cowed and fearful that we now see the victor, Jesus, standing, risen from the grave. And we say, Lord, with your victory in mind, we go forward to plunder the enemy camp. We go forward to advance the name of Jesus, to advance the kingdom of the Son of God. Lord Jesus, we long for you to do greater and greater things amongst us in your, in your church, Lord, in this church here and in this town. We long to see you do greater things. Lord Jesus, you are with us. And the fact that you're with us changes everything for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We lift your name on high. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.